use game is command, and an injury will make your command suffer if it doesn't necessarily sap your stuff. I'm talking about um, Santiago Espinal and the fact that he bulked up over the offseason. Um, so, could we talk about his defense instead? And it looks soft and brushable. <laughs> Okay, I'm I, so I, okay stop for a second. <laughs> and welcome to episode number 233 of Artificial Turf Wars, where we're just putting the finishing touches on the ballad of Santiago Espinal. Uh, anything that rhymes with Espinal, Josh, that you can help me with? <laughs> I have three or four um, rhymes in. Best Penal? <laughs> <laughs> it's we're getting there we're, uh, it's gonna be worth it in the end um we have more than a week to talk about so that's the good news it was a good more than a week um the jays are frankly six and three since they started playing the oakland athletics in toronto um they had a good road trip with a good bullpen uh which includes ryan barucki uh we had a moment where we thought we might lose george springer for longer than anyone was comfortable with uh we saw Jose Barrios with a solid start. We saw Kevin Gaussman with an exceptional start. I'll call it that. Um, we've had quite the week from Santiago Espinal. Um, we've had a moment from Bradley Zimmer. His first hit is a Blue Jay. We'll talk about that. Uh, Bo Bichette, is he, is he the guy he always was? Is he going to be the guy he always was? I'm sure we're curious. Hyunjin Ryu is out of the picture for the moment, which puts Ross Stripling into the rotation. Um... Biggio is on the COVID IL. We just found that out before we started the podcast. We have your questions. We have a do-over for good old Pat Tabler. Uh, we're going to talk about Buck because, uh, you know, Buck is like a fixture in Blue Jays baseball forever and ever. Uh, and yeah, we're going to get all of that into one complete package. I believe in us. <laughs> we'll try. So... Six and three since they started playing the Oakland Athletics in Toronto, which is two and one in every series. Uh, that generally is a that's a pretty good formula for doing a whole season that way, right? It, yeah, I, I, sure. Six sixty seven ball. It's not not bad. <laughs> well, I mean, you could split the four gamers and still end up in the playoffs. I believe that. That's true. If you win every, if you win every every three game and split every four game, you will make the postseason. <laughs> um, is that not what the nineteen ninety was it ninety two or ninety three Blue Jays did not lose a series? Like I, we went through this once before, and I don't think that's true of either team. But I know it wasn't the ninety three team, right? So if it so, was one of them, it was ninety two. But <clears throat> maybe they didn't lose a season series against anyone. Maybe that was what. Anyway, uh, this has not been the uh you know hammer put the hammer down watch the home runs fly uh scored nine runs every night that i was hoping for josh i'm not disappointed but it's not it's not the way i thought they would be doing things no um i don't think it's the way any of us expected this season to go uh obviously some injuries early which we've talked talked about before with Tyler hernandez and Danny jansen have changed the shape of the offense but we did not expect to be I mean, you know, have had seven one-run games of the low-scoring variety when we're only 16 games into the season. And to have won uh, so many of, of those close games. Yeah. Yeah, five. 
on the on the backs of now to be fair on the backs of adam simber trevor richards tim Meza. um these are all uh, best case scenarios for these guys and of course jordan romano with with you know we should probably talk a bit about Jordan Romano and the little dance he's been doing. Uh, but but getting to Jordan Romano has not been a problem. No, and Jimmy Garcia, got to mention him. He hasn't given oh, up a sorry. run yet. Yes, no, he's, I mean, arguably, he's the best member of the bullpen in terms of consistency. Like, he's so good, I forgot to... <laughs> Forgot he's, he just, can... he's not noteworthy because you just okay. I give another score, another score, so man, we can move on. Yeah, three up, three down. Thank you. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen Jimmy Garcia with a, a Jimmy Garcia, sorry, with a runner on third. I could be wrong. <laughs> it's, I mean, limited exposure, but yeah. So getting to Jordan Romano has not been an issue at all, which is, uh, is a wonderful spot to be at. The number of times I can remember a season where we've talked about how the Blue Jays are in all these close games and just not managing to figure out a way to win. They've, they've figured out, largely, the way to win them. Yeah, and, and you know we didn't even mention Julian Merriweather, who happened to hit 99 last time out, which was really nice to see because his velocity seemed to be disappearing a little bit. There really isn't a, you know, a leverage reliever that you don't trust right now. Um, even Trent Thornton, who we'll get into a bit later with one of the questions, has been dynamite. And so like Taylor Saucedo, who is up, but, you know, he's up for depth purposes only, right? And then Baraki, has, who again, we'll get to in a bit, hasn't had a chance to do much yet. But you don't get scared, oh, no, they're out, they have to get through this pitcher before they can get... No, everybody is, okay, yeah, this guy's pretty good. Yeah, and then they added Ryan Baraki. <laughs> yeah. Well, we can just get to Brecky now. I mean, and he only threw two pitches, <laughs> so it wasn't wasn't a very, you know, noteworthy outing. Other than the fact that they were both over ninety seven miles an hour, the number of pitches that Ryan Brecky had thrown at ninety seven or above since coming back from the injured list last year, zero. That's wonderful. That's exactly again another reliever who the only sign you have is a good sign. Um, is a luxury most teams do not have. Yeah, and, you know when Brian when Ryan Brucky was throwing ninety seven, was twenty twenty, and he was dynamite. He's you know control problems, and still no one could hit him. Like I'm not going to base a whole lot off of two pitches, but the signs are good. The fact that the velocity is there at all is good. Well, yeah, I think we've we would definitely judge off of a couple of pitches that were at ninety four, ninety five, wouldn't we? Like. Well, I wouldn't actually, because like, no. any two pitches, if they're you know, if they're lower, fine. But if they're higher than everything, max velocity matters. And will... he's incre he's increased his max from what it was last year, which shows health, which is nice. I'm sure we'll see him again soon, uh, and we will continue to develop that picture. So, um, now, does this create a silly question that I hadn't thought about? Does this create a, a, a tougher decision when um, when the roster crunch comes in five days, six days? It does. We we got a question about that, um, so I'll just you know, I'll just get to it now since we're talking about it. So the, this was from you and Ross, who actually was one of the long original hosts of this podcast. He asked what happens to this roster when we cut down to twenty six, um, and there's a limit on. You have to have, once they cut down their rosters, you can only carry 13 pitchers, which means 
that two relievers from this group will have to go because they're carrying 10 right now. And it's hard to see. Obviously, Sauceda will be one of them. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that what Ryan Barucki shows over the next week will be really important. And I think Merriweather, because he's an option, is a a serious risk of going to the minors. So because Trent Thornton has suddenly made himself indispensable as the long reliever with stripling in the rotation. So I, 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 it's interesting to watch. Of course, these things have a habit of working themselves out. <laughs> if I, so I do wish I had a nickel for every time we, we speculated on, on the pitcher crunch that never, ever came. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, well, one reason that the, 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 should, should we talk about the guy who's really missing the, because you mentioned stripling in the rotation. We have yeah. not had a show since Hyunjin Ryu went on the injured list. Um, I'm not surprised he ended up on the injured list. Something wasn't right all year, really. Yeah, well, especially in his second start. In his first one, his velocity was okay. It was actually slightly up from his average last year, but his average last year was down. So, But his second start, he couldn't throw anything hard. And he was, you know, he's throwing 88 mile an hour puff balls over the middle and he was getting hammered and, oh, turns out he's hurt. Well, okay. Because <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, that, you know, it's one thing for him, but actually I think the, what you mentioned about the first game, right? The velocity was there, but the, the command Control. just wasn't. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's the one thing that Ryu's game is command and an injury will make your command suffer if it doesn't necessarily sap your stuff. And so hopefully he's he's throwing live bull uh, batting practice, so his arm is feeling better. Hopefully he comes back soon and he's closer to the Ryu that, you know, even if he's never the I'm going to lead the league in ERA Ryu, if he's just the I can be counted on to give you a solid start Ryu, then the Jays will love that. Yeah, I mean, he's he's definitely become a bigger and bigger question mark here. Um, and either that's going to that's gonna resolve probably one way or another if he comes back um you know, on a fairly short timeline from that, from that injury. Yep. But in the meantime, uh, the Blue Jays have some very good starting pitching, which I think we expected uh, Alec Manoa to be very good. Um, He's been very, very good in my mind. Like his worst start of his career was six innings pitched with two runs allowed. Or was it one run allowed? Well, that wasn't the worst of his career. Well, sorry. Worst worst start in recent memory in terms of number of hits allowed um, and, uh, you know, how far he got into the game. He looks great. Yeah. And, you know, everything we heard about sort of and we referenced after his first start with the increased velocity and the more lateral movement on the slider to match his sinker better is showing up and the change up. And he just... He looks every bit the front of the rotation starter that people hoped he could be after last year, even though you know his strikeouts weren't where you'd want them to be necessarily. But now he's got a 25% strikeout rate, which is very, very good. Uh, and he keeps racking up the innings, which is also very, very good. Um, he's not pitching himself out of games by throwing a billion pitches and, and you know being out in four and two-thirds, uh, not being able to pick up the decision. Which, again, if the bullpen doesn't get worn out like they were early last year, maybe they they uh, you know they ugh, they fare better later in the season. Is what I'm trying to spit out. Yep. Um, 
which is to say the guy really helping that we kevin gaussman holy crap <laughs> i don't know how pe- yeah, 88 pitches in boston yeah i mean i would have preferred they kept him in that game let him finish it they were up by three um romano almost blew it <laughs> yep um but I, i'm like i get it fine chase haven't had a shutout since 2015 they have not, it was the first time they'd had a, an out in the ninth inning or no not even an out a pitch in the ninth inning since 2018 so it's kind of a thing with the jays but gossman hasn't walked a batter yet in how many innings are we up to 17 or something i think it's 18 innings 18 yeah and, you know he hasn't walked a batter he struck out 30 percent of them and i just don't understand how when he is on that people hit him because he's featuring his slider more this year, which now gives him the breakers around the same velocity band, the splitter and the slider going in opposite directions with a 96 mile an hour fastball, the straight going straight. And I, I just don't know how you can get comfortable against that. And it's just really fun to watch because he's throwing so many strikes. But yeah, to strike out uh, a batter per inning and still he was averaging 11 pitches per inning against Boston. Like, that is so hard to do when no one's making contact. Yeah, so the Jays are playing Boston in the first game of the homestand as we're recording this, and Pat Tabler read out a stat, or no, sorry, Shulman read out a stat that Boston is among the worst in the league at chasing out of the zone. They face Gaussman (laughs) for eight (laughs) innings. That's going to increase your chase rate because his stuff was just so good that day. Um you know, obviously they are chasing it as a whole, so which which adds to the success of a pitcher like that. But you know, I I think that he just looks every bit like the guy they got from San Francisco. Now it's three starts. Anybody can have a good three starts. We're not saying he's an ace. It's real. The contract was a perfect signing. No, but he looks really really good. Yeah, he's he's firing on all cylinders every start. I mean. Three pitch strikeouts and no walks and uh, crazy swings and misses. All of that stuff is what you want to see from the guy you're paying all the money. So I hope it keeps up. I, I you know I hope he stays healthy and and everything continues along these lines for him. Absolutely. Um, there there was a. Are we good with Gaussman? Yeah, I think so. There was a moment that uh, scared the crap out of me in Boston, and that was when George Springer got hit on the arm by a pitch. Well, the Jays got really lucky with that one because that's, you know, he got hit basically in that spot in his rookie year, I believe it was, and he broke a bone and was out for two months. Yeah, and that's, I mean, the Blue Jays can obviously, you know, you're going to adjust to injuries and lineup changes and everything else, but the current state of the lineup with no Danny Jansen and uh, Teoscar Hernandez that's still somewhere off on the horizon without, we've seen what happens in the two games when Ryan Tapia leads off. Uh, he hits a home run. No, wait, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't feel like Ryan Tapia at the head of the lineup uh, is anything on the same planet as George Springer leading off ball games. And it, it that would have a significant dampening effect like it did for the first half of last year to lose Springer again would just be devastating. Yeah. So they really dodged a bullet. I don't know why. Well, I know why they had him pinch hit in the second game, but 
the day after, but he really did not look comfortable. <laughs> it's it's like, oh, geez, don't 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 aggravate the injuries, please. Like, just he, we can go, live without him for a day. He struck out both at bats. He didn't do anything. But uh, thankfully, no, he looks he's fine. And he we've seen him hit a home run in his first at bat back in Houston, which was really cool. A couple doubles, making a diving catch in the outfield. He looks totally healthy, which is great. Yeah, just literally just a bruise. So thank you baseball gods for that one because it looked it did not look good like you said the the spot in the army got hit could very easily break something the inside of his elbow is just ugh. um so we move that was all basically the boston series uh alex cora um managed the first game like a playoff game uh got covid couldn't manage any of the other games and the blue jays took the next two from boston um and then they moved to houston where we started the Santiago Espinal show. Yeah, well, and the Bradley Zimmer show, apparently. But it's funny, that series started with the opening matchup was Verlander and Stripling. Of the three pitching matchups that were happening in that series, it's like that was the game you're like, well, you know, the Jays are probably going to lose this one. They did not. Thanks to Santiago Espinal. And Bradley Zimmer hitting home runs off Justin Verlander. Which, I know you don't like to toot your own horn, but you called Bradley Zimmer taking Justin Verlander deep. Why did you call that? You know, I was just looking at it, and I was like, and I know that Zimmer has power. I, didn't, I wasn't going to bring this up on the podcast. No, I have to. Um, there, it's timestamped. It's Twitter. There's no edit button. That's, that's true. So... <laughs> I was just looking at Zimmer's swing path and it just, I'd seen the way that Verlander had been throwing his fastball basically forever, this whole life. And it just looked to me like that's the kind of path he was going to throw a ball into Zimmer's bat and Zimmer was going to hit it out. I don't know why I felt that was going to happen. Just that just made sense to me. And then he hit a, you know, a home run. That's a home run and only Boston otherwise, but still counts. Uh, well, <laughs> the, so that was Zimmer's. <clears throat> you picked a guy riding an Ofer the season uh, to hit a home run against Justin Verlander. So I think most people will assume that you were extremely prescient, regardless of whether you it was just a swing path visualization of yours or not. Hey, it was also a feeling, right? And also, it wasn't even yeah. a fastball that he hit out. It was a curveball. But <laughs> it's just, that's just why. That's why I thought he was going to hit him he didn't, to go go deep. And then, you know, I just looked really good afterwards. The nice thing about those predictions, though, if I was wrong, nobody would remember. <laughs> yeah, nobody's going to come back to you and go, hey, you, you thought Zimmer was going <laughs> to hit a home run off Verlander. No, that's, it would just disappear into the mists of time. There was, there was someone who, you know... Uh, they did that with all 30 teams. Can't believe so-and-so is going to win the World Series. And then they deleted the other 29 tweets when whoever won the World Series. Um, <laughs> you know, you could you could try that. But this was way too short of a window to do that sort of thing. Um, which was back-to-back -back with Santiago Espinal as his first homer of the season. I am starting to get tired of Pat Tabler and Dan Schulman talking about um, Santiago Espinal and the fact that he bulked up over the offseason. Um, so could we talk about his defense instead? <laughs> Espinal's defense, I mean, having that guy at second base is just a treat. Yeah. Holy moly, is he quick with his hands and his feet. And his positioning, and he's got a good arm. I mean, everything about it makes him an elite-looking second baseman. And we saw evidence of his reaction times when he's playing third last year towards the end of the season. 
But I, I, it's just, I mean, having Chapman on the left side and then Bichette being, uh, sorry, Bichette being flanked by Espinal on one and, and, and then Chapman on the other side is just, it's just such a treat to watch. Bichette has a lot less to think about. I'll guarantee you that. <laughs> sure does. Um, yeah, like I I was impressed up to a point by Espinal at third. I didn't, I guess you get less chances at third than you do at second because you're not involved in the double plays and such as much. Um, I have been just stunned by the uh, the athleticism of Espinal with some of the stuff that's, you know, behind first base, essentially, that he's ranging over to get um, and making quick throws. Also, the this was not this week, but the double spin double play was <laughs> was a, a thing of beauty. I can't remember what game that was. Was that versus Oakland? Mm, I think so. I think it was a home game. Oh, no, it was against Boston. But, um, yeah, so and the other thing is he just got has, has incredible hands. So... You know, he can range these balls and then he feels them, which it's not always the case when they're hit as hard as some of these balls have been. He's been feeling up and hit like that one. It was the he's sort of falling in his backhand and he picked it and threw the guy out to in the inning. I, I mean, look, we knew Espinal could play defense, but we didn't. We I don't think we were sure about how good he could be. And we're really seeing it. Yeah, I, I think it has a lot to do with the number of chances, um, you know, third base versus second base. And and also playing the same position every day um, is surely an advantage um, to a guy who's already very good is you can get, you know, you can get settled and you can get the nuances of that position. Because, well, Matt Chapman has the nuances of throwing from third to first. What a relief. <laughs> <laughs> Not every throw is yeah. on the money. He airmailed one the other day and he felt really bad about it. But 95% of the throws are chest high to Vlad. Yeah, no, he's great. Um, What else do we have? Uh, well, we should talk about some of the Espinal offense stuff because he hit oh, the home okay. run. <laughs> he, he hit a home run in the in the last game of the series as well. Um, or was it the second no, game of the series? No, first, first and second the, games of the series, yeah. And then he doubled in the, the last game of the series uh, to right. give the Jays the lead, I believe. So the funny thing about Espinal right now, he's got a 680 OPS as we're recording this, which is actually not that good. <laughs> but no. he's hitting for extra base power. His isolated slugging is 198, or sorry, 192. Um, His... And, he, and he's getting doubles and home runs at very important times. So his the 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 number of hits hasn't been high, but the timing has been great. What's interesting is that he's striking out twenty four percent of the time, which is what he did in twenty twenty. Last year it was twelve percent. So it's really hard to get a handle on what the real Espinal is. Is he selling out for power more because he's hitting it, or is it just? a consequence of who they faced because they faced some very good teams and very good pitchers so far in the season. So it'll be interesting to watch how that plays out going forward. Yeah. I think this is, this is one of those ultimate, this is a small sample size and so many weird things are going on that you, you just like, okay, I'm just going to stand back and I'm going to wait until there's at least 150 plate appearances to see if something's actually shaken out by that point or not. Yeah, because I'm yeah I'm I'm with you. I'm not really like a 680 OPS is, yeah, but I mean 
this week, I'm sure his OPS is not 680. Um, such a contrast to a guy like Vlad Jr., right? Where you know exactly what you're going to get every time. Um, well, and there's an interesting thing. Like, if you look at his hot zones, don't throw the ball down and in or up to Espinal. Did you put the ball down in the way, down and away? Ice, cold, dark blue. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he, he, his coverage is, is not 100% covered. Um, we have, right after Espinal, a note about his his uh, double play partner, Bichette. And, and the word you used was struggles. Um, we probably have a question about that, too. Are we worried about Bo Bichette? Well, no. I, I, I'm not. I'm not going to say we no. aren't. Um, I'm not either. So No, I mean, Bo Bichette has done this before. Right? I mean, it's not... <laughs> He's not exactly known for his patient approach at the plate, shall we say? He, you know, he's striking out more than usual and he's swinging more than usual, but it's also early in the season and I think that there's an element of slumps where if you're an aggressive hitter, you you get even more aggressive when you're slumping. I heard on the radio broadcast, I'm pretty sure that um they talked about about Bichette and a slump. This was this was earlier in the, in the week, and um, his belief is that you swing your way out of a slump. That you don't you don't lean back and be more patient, you know, hoping for the perfect pitch that you can hit to get out of a slump. Now, is that right or wrong? I don't know, but it does inform some of what you're seeing from him, right? If he knows he's not hitting, he's a hitter. He's going to swing the bat. Yeah, I mean, I'm not shocked that that's his philosophy. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not asking you to be shocked. I'm just saying it's the thing they mentioned on the broadcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's, it is what it is. I Eventually, when he gets hot, he gets red hot. And that's just sort of the way it is with, with Boba Shett. I mean, he's swinging and missing at a, just a much higher rate than normal. And I don't expect that to continue because that's not who he is as a hitter. You know, his career, he's made contact with around 77% of his swings this year. It's 69. And there's just no reason to expect that even as he is aggressive because he's always been aggressive. Indeed. Uh, anyone else you want to talk about before we talk about uh, questions? I don't think so. I mean, there's a guy, people are probably like, how have you not talked about this guy? It's because we got five questions about this guy. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that guy when we do our questions. I think that's good. All right. Well, we will we will leave you for a good, you know, 10 seconds to try and guess who that guy is, uh, whose initials might be ZC. And we'll be right back after this. I was 17 years old that day. I was trying to find a woman for my birthday So I made up my mind and I didn't waste no time I took my daddy's uh, We have returned in a way that uh, we always do As though we have been away for mere seconds while the music plays But in the reality, the magic of radio, that's not how long we were away This is just me killing time until I press this button Time now to hear from our listeners That just seems silly here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? We regularly break the rules and don't alternate questions, but um, I, nobody's complained yet. Uh, first question from Matt Sweeby at Blue Jay Matt. 
Uh, says I'd written off Trent Thornton as only a depth piece, but he actually looks okay this season. It's only a handful of innings, though. Is there any reason to believe in him? And you're about to go do a deep, deep dive on a stat site somewhere, aren't you? No, I actually already know the answer to this question. Yes and no. <laughs> well, so the upside to Trent Thornton, from what he's doing right now, is he's added this slider. I mean, he always had one, but he was more, it was more of a cutter. But now it's more of a really hard sweeping slider to pair with his solid curveball and his decent enough fastball. The issue with Thornton has always really been, though, his ability to throw strikes. And, he, you know, he, he nibbles to get up 0-2 and walk a guy. And that's that's just what he has done. But – and he's still doing it, right? <laughs> His walk rate is the highest it's ever been, 12% right now. And that's not sustainable with an 18% strikeout rate. He's getting a lot of weak contact, but he still has to throw more strikes for this to be believable. Um, yeah, it was funny. You You did tweet. Trent Thornton needs to throw more strikes, and I just tagged it as evergreen because it's like you can go all the way back to his first season, and it hasn't changed. So personally, uh, I would love to have him as more than a depth piece, but I have a feeling uh, reality will rear its ugly head myself, regardless of his pitch mix. If it, if, if where they are is more important than what they are. Uh, Brian Donnelly at Brian Donnelly 8 asks, can we officially overreact about Santiago Espinal yet? Have you bought your tickets for the hype train? <laughs> I think we answered that in the first part. Not 680 really. OPS? <laughs> the power uptick is real. I think we can safely say that now. He's hitting the ball consistently harder than he ever has. But he has to make more contact. But the defense, I mean, even if he doesn't, with his defense, he's going to be a very good player. Yeah, I mean, I want... I want him at second base every day, even if I, you know, versus Biggio 100% of the time. So just for the defense. Uh, yep. Aaron P Pileski. It's still early. It's still early. It's still early. It's still early. It's still okay. He filled up the 150 characters of the tweet with it's still early, um, but responded to himself. But even so, how does Bo Bichette get fixed? I think we answered that too. He starts making contact. I, I think that's what it is. I mean, he, he's just in his head, I think, right now. And he's swinging. He takes pitches down the middle and then swings at pitches out of the zone. And once he gets going, we saw last year. I mean, he started last year ice cold. I'm not sure if people remember that. And his numbers were terrible. But then by the time the season ended, he was right back at his normal excellent season. So I, I expect once he finds it, he will find it. Yeah. I mean, Bobachet is demonstrably, as you've said many times, a superstar. The fact that he has had a bad three weeks is kind of neither here nor there until until something else changes. Um, yep. Next question from Tits McGee, which I'm allowed to say, I think, at sale 9070. Thoughts on Kikuchi so far? I'm going to take this. Boy, do I have thoughts on Kikuchi. Would he just throw the fastball and just just start there and not... And keep it in the zone. Maybe it would be okay. Everything else seems to be a disaster. I don't get it. <laughs> His second start against the Red Sox, that's what he did. And he was, I mean, he escaped a little bit sometimes, but he was really successful. And then against the Astros, I mean, he also got very let down by 
Zach Collins on the defensive side, the umpiring, and then Bichette made two errors. Biggio made an error. Like, you know, it, it wasn't just his pitching that led to the run scoring, but he went away from it, and I don't get it. His fastball is really, really good. Yes, he likes his cutter and his slider, and his changeup is terrible. But you can't locate. Like, it just slips out of his hand all the time. But you, we saw last year how good a fastball like that from a left-handed pitcher paired with a breaking ball can be if you use the fastball the right way. I'm not saying he's going to be Robbie Ray. He's not Robbie Ray. But his fastball is as good as Robbie Ray's. And he doesn't use it enough. And I just I don't know if that's from the catching or because he because Kirk called way more than Collins did. So I, I it's we'll have to watch that because that really is, I think, the the biggest indicator of whether he's gonna be good or not. Um next question from Mike at GoSends Go 101. Trigger warning for you, Josh. How close to unplayable are Collins's receiving skills behind the plate? Should we answer? Should we just get all the Collins questions okay. out at once? And then <laughs> Andrew Arnold at Arnie nineteen eighty underscore nineteen eighty one asks Zach Collins. I I don't understand. I, explain him to me. Um, the foul out boy at Split Letters uh, asks, "How real is this outburst by Collins?" Uh, Al at Ellie Ellie Hart. It's all our regulars. Is Zach Collins getting one hundred percent of the MVP vote, or will Espinal nab a few? Yeah, I think that's that's everybody. Um. I I love that people are confused. That's awesome. <laughs> yes. So we'll, we'll, the first question was about the defense. So we'll start there. He sucks. <laughs> 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 He's a terrible, terrible receiver. And I think that they're just using him wrong. I, I, I don't understand patching Zach Collins for you say Kikuchi Collins should catch for Gaussman, which he did. He should catch for Barrios or Manoa, right? Like one of those three guys, but Kikuchi who needs every strike he can get, especially at the bottom of the zone. Why are you catching the guy who cannot frame a pitch at the bottom of the zone? He stabs at the ball. Like he's trying to put it on the ground. <laughs> it's crazy. And his pitch calling didn't make any sense to me either. So yeah, he should be a DH and catching the guys who don't need a good catcher. That's so he's not unplayable. He just shouldn't be playing as much as he's playing defensively. This is against the backdrop of Kirk, who we thought was primarily a DH, now being rated after his last start, I believe, in the in the 92nd percentile of framing ability of all major league catchers. I always thought Kirk was a good receiver. You can look. I'm not just saying this. And they go on my Twitter feed and search for it. I actually think he receives really well. He doesn't block very well, and his throwing were the uh, were issues. But I thought he was better than the metrics even showed. So, which who knows if you should trust me? But <laughs> <laughs> I thought he had good receiving mechanics, and obviously it's bearing out this year. But back to Collins, <laughs> who is crushing the ball. <laughs> Zach Collins is hitting 303 with a 324 on base and a 636 slugging. So what you think Santiago Espinal is doing, Zach Collins is doing. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't really understand Zach Collins because I'm mean, look, he all oh, he power is part of his game. It was in the minors, like you know, he had a an ISO of 230 in the minor leagues. I mean, the, the big time power for a catcher. So and we're seeing that. He's got a big hole in his swing which is why he struck out 32% of the time. 
But when you don't hit those holes, the ball goes a long way. And I think that, you know, like he's not going to hit 303, right? Like guys with his profile don't hit 300. But he could hit 20 bombs if he plays regularly and take some walks. So as long as he can do that, I think he's really holding the fort while Jansen's out, right? He, he can turn back into a pumpkin once Jansen gets back and it's fine. But this is exactly what they needed. Yeah, I mean, in Blue Jays history, there have been so many situations where you needed the guy who was basically an unknown to step up for just long enough to cover a hole, right? To have yep. that surge of goodness. So often it has not happened. <laughs> so I'm fine mm-hmm. if it if it only happens for three weeks or four weeks. Uh, yeah. And the big thing that you need to do, while you are contending at least is when the guy stops being that, he needs to stop playing. It can't be Juan Francisco where he plays for three more months. Yep, absolutely. Um, so I think he's going to have to share the MVP, MVP vote 100%. He's definitely not winning a gold glove. You heard it from Josh. Uh, okay, we will move past the Zach Collins show um, to minor leaguers question, minor underscore leaguer. Do you think umpiring, specifically calling balls and strikes, is now better, worse, or the same as it was 30 years ago? Is it more difficult job now that pitchers are throwing harder? Are we just noticing more problematic calls thanks to HD broadcast and strike zone overlays? There's a lot to unpack in that question. Uh, I suppose as the former umpire, I should make guesses. I have thoughts too, but you go first for sure. Number one is it is really hard to see a baseball at 98 miles an hour or with break at 92 miles an hour. These are things that I don't think there was no slider like that 30 years ago uh, in, you know, in the, in the low nineties. Um, so I think it has gotten harder to be accurate. I know that umpires are, despite the protection of their union and the existence of a certain empire who will come up later, um, being asked to be better. They are regularly graded. They are told when they have a bad game. Now, if they are ornery and don't want to do anything about it, there's nothing that the league can do to them. They can't keep them away from the plate. Um, But I think that that gets magnified by the fact that a ball strike technology that they, they, you know, I think they started thinking about in the 1980s is actually relatively close to being available and superseding the human being, where it's been very impractical up to this point. So because it's so close to being usable and the human is clearly more fallible at, you know, 10% higher pitch velocity, I think it's it's all kind of coming together to look really bad on umpires. I have nothing to add. I agree completely with what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> Short essay. On the and problem I, with being an I up. do think that, but okay, actually, I lied. I have something to add. Oh, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I mean, there is an element, I think, of certain old, older umpires just being stuck, right? Because there is, yeah. like, statistically, some of the younger umpires are actually doing a better job of this. So it's not, I, I but for the most part, I agree with everything you said. And I, and I think that well, the only thing that's really going to change is when technology starts coming into play. Yeah. Um, Jared I'll S. ask you this one because I don't yeah. want to answer it. Uh, Jared S. <laughs> at Jared19. If you made an all-time Blue Jays hair team, how many current players would be on it? Oh, well, obviously, Rymel Tapia, uh, Bobachet, and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. would be on it. 
But that does not mean that they would supersede Juan Guzman's Jerry Curl or Kelly Gruber's mullet, um, you know, just because they are currently on it. I love how, like, good hair has come to mean unusual hair. Like, is Lourdes Gurriel's hair good? It's amazing. I wish I had that hair, man. I put on a hat. I have a no, I have a ring no. around my head for four days. He takes my, off my, a batting my... helmet. It explodes out, and it looks soft and brushable. Okay, <laughs> I'm I, so I, okay. Stop for a second. <laughs> <laughs> the answer actually is yes, but it has become that like anyone who has long or different hair, it's all oh, great hair. It's like not always, <laughs> like. Gruber's mullet was horrible. It was terrible. <laughs> I I think it's because it makes them easily identifiable. Um, you know, Tom Hankey's glasses were not nice, but everybody loves Tom Hankey's glasses, right? They're just uh, I guess I, I, inseparable I don't know. <laughs> part. The, the, the very large frames that came with the 1980s are an inseparable part of Tom Tom Hankey's legacy. I just think it makes people identifiable. Um, but we can have that debate on an extra pellets episode one day when you really, really don't want to talk about it. Um, <laughs> so I believe the last question is from Dave Church. If I have not missed one with all yeah. those Collins ones, Dave underscore Church asks on a scale of one to ten. How much do we love Kyle Schwarber for losing his mind on an Angel Hernandez? And why is your answer 10? I watched, I highly recommend it, John Boy Media's video on this because he does all the lip reading for you in case you're not very good at it. Um, wow. Did Schwarber say what we were all thinking? <laughs> Which is, it sucks. And it's not even a like a bias against anybody thing. You're just bad at this. <laughs> yeah, that that's what made it so great. It's like he clearly was saying you like you were bad for them and you were bad for us. Like he wasn't just saying like you suck, you screwed me over. It's like no, you've been terrible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he calls out of the he comes back out of the dugout at one point and he goes, "It was thirty calls," and you can see the expression on Angel Hernandez's face, like, "Oh, were they counting?" <laughs> <laughs> I hope they weren't counting. Uh, yeah, somebody needed to do it. Um, yeah, I mean, Joe Girardi standing beside Angel Hernandez going, you got to be better, uh, is pretty much Angel Hernandez's entire career encapsulated in one moment. Because I'm sure Girardi was doing it when he was a catcher. Yep. <sighs> we shall move from the questions, which amused me greatly tonight, folks. On over to the duo. Oops, I said the quiet part loud and the loud part quiet. <laughs> but what if you could do it all over again? But what I really meant was... What did Pat Tabler mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, look, I get on Tabler a lot. I don't always get on him so much for not understanding players on other teams and things like that. Oh, the Jays just coughed up a two-run lead in the eighth. Ugh, brutal. Sorry. Um, and but the, the subject came up when they were playing Boston because the story came out earlier in the day that they had not been able to come to agreements with both Rafael Devers and Xander Bogarts on extensions. 
that they weren't willing to meet the prices. And then Tabler comes on the sh on the air and says, "Wow, that's surprising. You know, like when was the last time you saw heard Boston not willing to pay someone?" How about Mookie Betts? Like, they, like <laughs> the last time they had one of these guys, one of the very best players in baseball, this is what happened. <laughs> Acting like it's been forever since it happened is like just willful, willful ignorance. Yeah. And Boston has not been a big spending team since what? David Price extending Chris Sale? But the what generally happens with Boston is when they start spending big, that's when they get into trouble and finish last. So it's not surprising they get gun shy at certain points. Do you think Tabler remembers any of that? Uh, no, I, 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 I don't, honestly don't <laughs> think Tabler knows much of anything at all. <laughs> uh, so what is the invitation to do over? It's just if you're going to talk about a subject like that, be aware of the recent situations. Like, you know, like that's also on the stats people for not saying like, just like Mookie Betts, you know, like Pat, you know, just make it yeah. Pat proof. But you know, it's just if you're going to bring something like that up, make sure you understand the context. That's fair. Well, uh, we can have him on the show to discuss the context if he wants to drop by. Uh now, on the, on the opposite side, we give the guys on the air a hard time all the time for things they say and things they do. And we, we acknowledge it's a difficult job. Um, kind of sad news about Buck Martinez. And I, I just want to say that I've, I've, never, I've never wished anything ill against Tabler or Martinez as people or even, even from their career standpoint. I think, uh, I think they... They work hard. I think they try their best. I just, the results they got on the air sometimes are weird to me. So I feel very bad that Buck Martinez has been diagnosed with cancer um, and has had to step away from the booth because I am sure that he is really missing being around baseball. And I, I really feel for him. Oh, yeah. Look, we make fun of Buck and his calls and stuff, but he's a passionate Blue Jays guy, has been forever. And you just, you know, it's really sad hearing something like this. And obviously we're hoping he has a full recovery and, you know, we get to hear swing and a drive again sometime soon. Uh, it is funny because you can, you can obviously search, you know, for whatever you want in terms of Buck Martinez, but, uh, and find out, you know, people who hate him, people who love him and everything else. But the number of people who are comforted by the familiarity of Buck's voice on the radio, knowing that he is there talking about his abysmal playing career with his wheeze laugh, um, it's actually quite astounding. It's it's a part of the aesthetic of watching the Blue Jays for so many people. So I hope we get we get back to that uh, aesthetic in in whatever dose you're comfortable with with the mute button um, <laughs> at the ready. If you're not if you're not a big dose person, uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, yeah. So I think we roll on up to the part where I ask you if you have a final thought. Yeah, so I was going to talk about the ball because, you know, the, the ball is just not flying as far this year as it has in the past. I mean, it's all the early data shows it. But no, we're going to talk about Biggio. Um, I don't know if I just stole yours. If I did, I'm sorry. But he, um, COVID, he's on the COVID IL or, or rather he has COVID issues. But he 
I think he needs to go back down to the minors just so he can play every day. I, I like he's playing very rarely and he's playing horribly when he gets in there. And I can't be good for anybody's confidence and ability to perform. But I, I think like with, with Gosuke Kato up here, he plays the utility role that Biggio plays and hits from the left side. So like, it's just doing the exact same thing. So I think Biggio needs to go down when he's healthy enough to do so. I can't argue with you because he's, you know, he's not um, not had any kind of results that he's looking for. And it would be better better to see him have a chance without any pressure. Um, one of our questioners stole my final thought, which was go watch Jumbo's video on Angel Hernandez. Uh, if you want a good laugh. Which is to say um, that I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead 2010, and you have been Josh Housem at Joshua Housem, and this has been Artificial Turf Wars episode number 233, and we will talk at you next week.